Contra of 5 Scotland, you're listening to Films and Swearing, a movie podcast with your host Stuart Sutherland and the Magic Mike Christie. Yo. Welcome to episode 238 of the Films and Swearing movie podcast. And yes, we've reached 1985 in our 80s season. Tonight we will be discussing... Robert Zemeckis's Back to the Future and Tom Holland's Fright Night. No, that Tom Holland. Aye, no, no fucking Spider-Man that's not allowed to play at Disney anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I always, not always confused me, but it's was, it was funny when the name Tom Holland kind of becomes more significant like in, I say, yeah. pop culture again, with him becoming Spider-Man. Then you're watching films like Psycho 2 and he's got like was it not directing or writing credits? Yeah, writing credits. And I was like, Tom Holland? And then he just realised it's just an old guy, obviously. Yeah. It's funny because um, the papers have been advertising the Dunhill Cup this weekend. Uh, right. It's like the golf or all this. Oh, yeah. And, stuff. and he's playing. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man. Yeah. Not yeah. Psycho yeah. 2 writer. Yeah, we Tom Holland. English Tom Holland. Aye. And the paper, the article, like, starts by... Naming like 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 the first credit for him is like star of Billy Elliot. So like, he's probably more known for being Spider Man. Yeah, and I mean what Billy Elliot was about twenty years or but I, I think that's wrong. I think he was Billy Elliot on Broadway. Ah right okay yeah I think that's that makes more sense. Mhm. Because I think that's what kind of. I thought was he like um what was the name of the. It was Jamie, Jamie Bell aye. done the film. So you see, like Jamie Bell's like we like, like like just born brother or something. <laughs> just a bear in a crib, but yeah, I think he might be known for maybe the, the highest grossing film worldwide mm. of all time. Yeah, maybe he's part of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. So before we get into our discussions, you want to do a quick film quiz? I let's fire Is this what we've got left? No, no, just just a a selection I grabbed. So, man, it's been it's been a minute since we've done our last podcast, so I can't even remember who won last time. Probably yourself. I think it may have been. Okay, I'm gonna go first, and it's a comedy. Teenagers Will, Jay, Neil, and Simon go on a lads' holiday to Malia in which 2011 movie? In between us. That's right. Uh, I'll throw animated. In which animated movie do former superheroes Bob and Helen Parr live in Metroville with their three kids? Ah, Incredibles. Yeah. Uh, action. Who plays the assassin attempting to kill the president in the line of fire? Oh, John Malkovich. It is. Uh, still not seen it yet. Still no seen it yet. Uh, decently. It's in the Netflix queue. Yeah. I just need to click yeah. the fucking button. Who co-wrote and starred in Hot Fuzz? Uh, Nick Frost. Oh, Simon Pegg. Son oh. of a bitch. You motherfucker. Oh, oh, that's a wee, what do you call the questions? Aye, uh, like a red herring. It's, yeah. it's meant to trick yeah, you. Because yeah, yeah. Simon... I, Obviously, Simon Pegg helped Edgar Wright. Yeah. And I'm just... Aye. Son of a bitch. Ooh. I thought I was going to... They're trying to trick me out. I was saying, oh, they fucking tricked me out, but in the other way. Yeah. Bastards. Okay, uh, action. Marlon Brando and Martin Sheen star in which 1979 Vietnam War movie? Uh, Pocos Now, and I've still not seen it. What? I thought, I thought you'd just... No, it was Platoon. You've just seen it. I just watched Platoon. I've seen it before, but I've not seen. But I still got that three disc. It was like the, it was like a three disc steelbook, and it was like a like a, like a new rest like a restoration. Aye. They now went and brought out a four disc. Ah. A four disc fucking final cut, and I'm they, like, it's only fifteen quid. Aye. Fifteen quid. They never know when to fucking quit. Because Stu McPherson got the. Oh, 4K it's a steelbook, like wasn't a six it? Six disc thing. Jesus Christ. So I was thinking. I might compare special features and see if it's got 
like how many versions of the form it's got, and I might just sell oh. the steelbook exactly and buy the totally because the final cut. You could probably trade that in easily enough. Yeah. Well, that that's it. You got three in a row. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> that cheeky wee. I stumbled on hot fuzz. I know. Son of a bitch. Hey, that's probably, I would have been like, I probably would have said Nick Frost as well. I would just, like, who called, <clears throat> who co-starred in Hot Fuzz? And you immediately think, well, the main star's Simon Pegg. Co-star, it has to, it, it has yeah. to be fucking Nick Frost. It can't be Bill Bailey. I know mm. he's got two roles in it, but still. So. Alright. Let's have a wee look at our reviews. 1985. Uh, I can never see which came out first. I think. I'll get back to the future out of the road. Yeah, I think your one kind of comes into the class of like summer blockbuster sort of thing. Totally. Aye. Uh, so, Back to the Future, 1985. Director Robert Zemeckis. Writer Robert Zemeckis and... Steven Spielberg. I think it's a guy called Bob Gale. Steven Spielberg presents it. Uh, Aye, so Ike is like a producer. I was having a conversation last week where I got it and we're talking about like like directors that we class to be like 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 top of the line and stuff. And we're talking about like Spielberg Mm -hmm. and we're talking about Back to the Future and I was like, no, I said he I said to him that he produced it, he never directed it. I thought he actually produced it. He probably did. It's just I remember seeing the credit in the opening scenes, uh, Steven Spielberg presents. But no, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think that's another way to kind of say producer anyway. Yeah, like an uncredited producer role, which he probably got a, a, a fee for it anyway. Aye. Because, you know, as if he was making so much money in the 80s anyway with E.T. and Indiana Jones. Aye. Yeah, I think he was doing alright for himself back then. Yeah. Let's see. There are five producers, Nick Carter, Bob Gale, Kathleen Kennedy, Frank Marshall and Steven Spielberg. Hmm. So yeah, so it'll probably just be credited for a couple of things. Hmm. Uh, so, the film stars Michael J. Fox as Marty McFly, Christopher Lloyd as Dr. Emmett Brown, Leah Thompson as Lorraine Baines, uh, Crispin Glover as George McFly, Thomas F. Wilson as Biff Tannen, and Claudia Wells as Jennifer Parker. Do I need to explain the plot? Do mm. we all know the plot? Yeah, I'm pretty sure everybody in their cat knows the plot to Back to the Future. Should I bring my cat back in and ask him? <laughs> but <laughs> well, yes. Call my suit and you'll listen. <laughs> you'll fucking claw me. Of course I know I'll put Back to the Future. Yes, 17-year-old high school student accidentally sent 30 years to the past in a time-travelling DeLorean invented by his close friend, maverick scientist, Doc Brown. Yeah, that's... <clears throat> this was, like, one of the films that I kind of grew up on. Mm-hmm. I watched countless times. I think maybe the second one's probably the one I've watched the most. I think that's the one that I, like, I enjoy the most out of the three of them. Ah, like, yeah. All three of them are good, really good. But... I think the second one just peaks a wee bit more. Mm-hmm. I reckon it was because of like the flying hoverboard before the fact that it's in the future. Yeah. Because that said there was a... I, I've not watched this in fucking ages. So when re-watching it last night, I missed out a lot of scenes that I was expecting. But I think because obviously two gets very confusing if you try to think back to it chronologically because they go back to the past and into the future and back to present day yeah. so there's times where it's like I'm sure they have like a car chase in like a long tunnel and like, that must have been the fucking second movie and so there's sequences missing from this so it kind of made it a little bit shorter but still obviously it's a yeah. it's a two hour film mm. which I'm surprised it held my attention for so long because it's like two hours like Jesus there's times where I thought the film was finished then realised there's still about half an hour left to it yeah. but my earliest memory, I could only really remember the second one. There's always one scene in the second one where they fucking, they, they order pizza and it's like a little hockey puck. Oh yeah, and they put it in the microwave. Ah, and then it. bing, giant ass pizza and it's like individual slices with different toppings for, mm. for everyone. 
I mean, I always just remember the hoverboard for the second one and the totally. fucking the pump up uh, night trainers. Aye. And that's it. The, the great thing about the second one, it repeats a lot of sequences from the first, but now with like futuristic te- technology. Yeah. Like how McFly escapes the bad guys uh, by taking the kid's skateboard, or it's like a little push cart, and he kicks the the milk crate off it and then uses the bo- the base as a skateboard. Yeah. And then it's like the same sequence, but now it's a hoverboard, so it's... Yeah, it's just... Ah, it's just how it kind of, like, the snake eats its own tail, but they just improve it in such a way that the audience will appreciate. And there's, there's loads of sequences in this where something really similar happens. Like, you have Doc Brown sitting talking about, this is Peabody Farms, and there's, like, Twin Peak Malls, and it's, ah, oh, blah, blah, it gives them the history lesson. And, of course, when he flies back to the 60s, the mall's missing, it's just a farm, and there's a big mailbox that says Peabody on it, and it's like, ah, it's just so fucking clever. Yeah, but I guess my nutshell re- uh, reaction to it is it's it's a golden piece of like eighties cinema. It's yeah, hard not to like, and or it's hard not to enjoy Back to the yeah, Future. And as soon as you hear that Huey Lewis and the news track mm-hmm. again, that's fucking brilliant. Aye. even the score. Aye, the score is like synonymous with fucking fumblers everywhere. Like, I know it's as famous as like the theme from Jaws. Yeah, because as I know, is it uh, John Williams? Nope. Um, it is um, can't pronounce the name. Alan uh, Silvestretti. Ah, Silvestri or something. Yeah, the guy that just done like the score for Avengers Endgame. Ah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I always thought it was John Williams there because I'm trying to think. I'm maybe wrong, but I'm pretty sure John Williams done the score for Indiana Jones, but I could be fucking dead wrong. Mm. Because I'm sure I've, I've had a conversation where, like, a guy at my work saying, what's better, like, the theme song for the score for Back to the Future, Jurassic Park, or uh, Indiana Jones? And it's hard to actually Aye. pick a definitive winner. Yeah. that's, that's a, so good. That's a fucking Twitter poll. <laughs> Aye. Aye, I, I couldn't fucking choose. Because each of them are so fucking synonymous and just so fucking epic on their own. Yeah. It's like choosing between children. Which yeah. one, which two do you want to throw in the well? Which one do you want to keep forever? <laughs> yeah, don't make me choose. <laughs> but I love the opening sequence. Like, it's just like that long shot of a camera panning through Doc Brown's house and it's just several clocks and then it shows, like, some of his inventions, like the, the machine that's opening the, the tins of dog food. And it's a wee automated arm that picks up the tent, takes it across, turns over and dumps it into the the bowl, the dog bowl. And it's just like, Doug's not been there for like a week. And it's just all this fucking dog food piling up. Do you reckon that actually it was Brad Pitt in a green suit? <laughs> oh. What was the name of the dog again? Einstein? Yeah, uh, aye. Einstein. Yeah, because they kept crying him, Einie. Yeah. Um, but... I, through that sequence also you were getting all the names like Steven Spielberg presents uh, music by Alan Silvestretti and it said cinematography by Dean Cundy and yeah, it's, it's quite well, funny and watching back like, I can I, I know these names <laughs> <laughs> and then you just have fucking Marty McFly and total trash his house by deciding to play guitar on a giant fucking amplifier yeah did you ever play the Telltale game edition. No, no. That kind of it's I've, I I never finished it, but it it starts off that way. Like you're in uh, Doc Brown's house at the start and all that, and you try to find that like hook up the amplifier and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the story does take a similar, a, a totally different turn, and it's like a alternate universe and stuff. Ah. And it's like Emma Brown's in jail and stuff like that, and you've got to go and do like all these things. And there was—I always remember there was a fucking there was a puzzle in the game that you had to do the sequence, and you had to follow the things that like when the right time and do the sequences. Yeah, I think I, I think I spent maybe about two hours trying to do this oh. puzzle to finally get it right. Mm-hmm. Because the sequence always changed; like it was never the same. Oh, right. It was always different. Oh, man, that's. Typically, soul destroying. Yeah, but I mean, like you talk about, like, like, like the score being iconic, the fucking DeLorean. Yes. Like that was a nice car. I mean, no fast, but you know. Mm. But I mean, the fact even its introduction because it's like this back of the lorry, and 
when it opens, like the big flume, like plume of smoke, the way it's lit, and it just slowly reverses out, and the music, like the score's quite gentle at that point, and just the camera kind of pans around it as it slowly reverses out, and it's also like the introduction for Doc Brown's character. Mm. But it's just so class, like a really classy shot where it just shows off. Like, no wonder this car became fucking iconic. Because I imagine it became iconic because of Back to the Future. Yeah. Because sure, it probably was just a fancy, like, seagull-winged car before. But the fact that he rigged it into, like, a fucking time machine. Mm. I imagine that put it on the map for pop culture. Because fuck, wasn't that even the car that um, the kid drives in Ready Player One? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Aye. I drive the backwards instead of going forwards. Yes. Aye. Uh, but man, fucking Michael J. Fox, 1985, he must, like, that was the year for him. Yeah. Because the same year you had him starring in fucking Teen Wolf as well. I've still never seen it. Nah. Nah, I've still never seen yeah, it. Yeah, I, I watched it a lot as a kid. I, I even watched the sequel, not knowing fucking, like, because Jason, Jason Bateman yeah. played the role. But, um, but the image of fucking Michael J. Fox as his eighties school kids, like he just must have came across as cool as fuck. Like seeing this film back in the eighties, I bet Fox would just want to like be like him, just like oh man, come with all these slick answers, playing the fucking guitar, and just it, it did. He just came across looking cool as fuck, and it's just that Marty McFly. Mixing it up with fucking Teen Wolf the same year. It must have... It just must have... Like, that was the fucking year he got turned into, I guess, a, like yeah. a pop culture icon. Because he is. He's still famous today, but obviously, sure, due to him suffering from Parkinson. Parkinson's, he's nowhere as active as he yeah. used to be. But, fuck, I've seen him credited on uh, IMDb with a film this year. And it's a time-travelling Netflix movie. But it's based on uh, like a bunch of like black kids in the projects or something, and they somehow come up with a time machine, and he's like a a, a school teacher. Ah, so he's still trying to get me hand then. Yeah, I think with the fact that it's time travel related, it's quite nice to have him uh. pop up for a cameo. But yeah, um, it's, it's when he is sent back in time. I always love that first shot where he goes to the diner and he's sitting beside his dad but he doesn't know it yet. And you have Biff come in and he's like, McFly! And you you just see fucking Marty swing his head around and then fucking George is there beside him. But the mannerisms are the same, like the hands back through the hair, the way the head turns, the, the way they stand up. But just little touches like that. Like, yeah. sure, okay, it's father-son, but the fact that they're almost in sync... Uh, and it's not even known. It's quite good. Yeah, I think uh, like the the role of Biff Tanner. I think he, for me, I think he steals it in every one of the films. Yeah, it's great. Because like obviously, when you see him in the eighties, when he's like a bit older, he's like um, he like comes across as almost, as almost like a janitor. Where he's like totally get up and and the way he acts, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like he's like, it's like he's always like a lodger in the McFly house. Yeah. Uh, but then the fact that when he goes back to the 50s and all that, he's just an absolute prick. Aye, he's just this fucking meathead. Yeah. Like, just this bully jock. And in the first half of the film where it's uh, the the normal 1985, where Biff's successful and it's because of George McFly having to do all his work for him, he comes across as like a, a live, a real life interpretation of maybe like Nelson Muntz. Like you just this this big bully that's fucking probably thick as shit, but he could just rely on weaklings to kind of get him through things, like make McFly do his work for him, and yeah. he get away with him get the success. The fact that he totals McFly's car, and he's like, "Your car? What about my shirt? It spilled beer on it." And you're just thinking, "Man, this guy's a piece of shit." And that's something clearly in the second film that they play heavy on. Yeah, because you get the you get the three generations of Tannen. Yeah. And then you get the futuristic one, who's the older one. He's like a Trump-esque figure, yeah. isn't he? Aye. 
But he is, he's great, like, where he goes from being this bully arsehole to then he's just sitting applying wax on fucking George's car at the ends. Yeah. And he's just, oh, it's all so gracious. And he's, he, there's like, now McFly. You know, it's like, now, Biff, I want two coats of turtle wax. So I'm starting the second one now. He's like, Biff. It's like, okay, sir, no worries. <laughs> he just, it's just the change in dynamic. Yeah. It's, it's brilliant. No, the, the thing about it, I do say I love everything about this film. Like, there's not a bad character in the movie. Yeah. But sometimes Crispin Glover, his acting's a wee bit, a bit close to, like, a bit hammy, overacting at times. Yeah. Like, for example, there's a, there's a scene where he's trying to chat Lorraine in a, in a diner, and he's like, <sighs> and he just, like, it's weird. It's like someone. It's like he's trying to do like a, an impersonation of Keanu Reeves. Uh. Like it's it's our uh, your, my destiny, and me and you and and it's just like the boy's out of breath for some reason in every scene he's doing. And I'm like, what's going on with this guy? And I reckon if they just say, oh, it's just because he's a really nervous guy. He doesn't he doesn't have any confidence, but. There's times where I'm just like, fucking hell, this boy's like up at 11, he needs to take it down a notch. Yeah, I mean, because <clears throat> he's quite famous for that weird dance that he done in Friday the 13th Part 4. Yes. I'm trying to think. Aye, because like, he's off freaking out. It's like, Jason's not in this movie, pal, you're alright. Calm down. I'm trying to think. The only thing I can think of being in is he played the, the bellhop in Hot Tub Time Machine that lost his hand. Alright. Oh, ah. Oh, man, I have to revisit that. But the thing is, like as I said, there's no really bad card in this movie, and I do love the scene where uh, Marty convinces George to ask Lorraine out, and he's like, right, okay, and he goes into the the, the cafe, and he's like, Louis, like milk, chocolates, and he takes a big sip, and like a, like a guy down in a shot at a bar, like a whiskey, takes a big slug and slams it down on the bar, but it's a fucking chocolate milk, and. The fucking Marty's mum, like Lorraine, while well, was like Leah Thompson was quite fine in this movie. Like Jesus Christ, she was in heat. Yeah. Like the the origin story, like George's uh, "How I Met Your Mother" story, when they talk about it in the, in present day, it's like that her dad hit him with a car. He was just out there in the middle of the road, and we don't know why. And the fucking actual thing was, he was up a fucking tree with a pair of binoculars watching her change. <laughs> and it was like... That's not the right spill story. Aye, so he fucking fell at the tree and got hit by the car. And his reaction was like... Shouting, like, the, the dad shouting to the wife, was like, it happened again! It's like, fucking hell, like, <laughs> Lorraine's Day in fucking peep shows every day of the week. There's fucking different boys falling at this tree all the time. The, clearly the bark's worn off the tree for the amount of cunts climbing up it <laughs> or, or fucking dry humping the, the fucking branch they're wrapped around but the fact that that McFly, Marty, saves George it's, it leads to him being hit with a car yeah and it's the fact that he wakes up she's there fucking quickly whips off the car again so she's there in her wee school uniform and she's sitting crying on Calvin and he's like what the fuck's this about I said, Kelvin Klein, it's on your pants. And it's like, it's like, where's my... Tr-? She's fucking stripping him doing this. Like, because she was... Because they think that he's like a, a Martian or something, or like an astronaut or something. Yes, aye, when the DeLorean first crashes yeah. in fucking Peabody's farm, he comes out in the radiation suit, and we already shows the dad a comic where it looks like a, a DeLorean and a guy in a big radiation suit. Yeah. So aye, it does fucking freak the farmers out, but... They all think he's a fucking sailor because there's like orange bomber vest that looks like a life preserver. Uh. So it's like, oh, are you from the Navy? Are you a sailor? Do you just fucking come ashore? And it's like, no, this is my fashion. But as she's constantly just like, just a dug in heat, following fucking McFly about her fucking tail wagon. Like, when they go to have dinner, she's sitting squeezing his thigh. And it's just the comedy. It's just the fact that, that's his mum. Mm. <laughs> his mum's. Just a fucking horny wee devil to just sit and squeeze and it like a boy that's fucking fell out of the sky and she's sitting taking his clays off and one hair look at his fucking purple pants and it's just like Jesus Christ. And you just think 
was this the first boy that's been brought into this house? Or is she just fucking seducing several men that's fallen out of trees and been dragged into her house? But, um, let's see. I mentioned it already, but that scene where the Marty has to fucking knock out Biff uh, at, the, at the diner and make his escape whilst it's Biff, his 3D specs wearing buddy, one that looks like a, a greaser out of fucking Fallout, and I think there's another boy, and the four of them are all chasing him, and he has to fucking hightail it on his makeshift skateboard. Oh, yeah. It's like that sequence where McFly on the run, he's on a skateboard, the fucking magical score is playing underneath it, and it's just like, this film, like, how, this film's gold. They're just, it's a fucking perfect film. Like, a fucking perfect film to show your kids, even though Cameron was like, a little bit concerned about Doc Brown getting shot by Albanians at the start. <laughs> it's like, is he okay, Dad? Hi, right, pal. Does he come back? Yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah, okay, I can't remember when I was watching it, like when I watched it as a kid, and I like, I can't remember uh, Doc Brown being shot until I like recently watched it a few years back. Yeah. I was like, oh fuck, I so he does. Yeah, and that's uh, it. Kind of leads to that poignant moment where Marty kind of wants to leave a note for him so he knows what's happened, and just so he could kind of prevent it from happening in the future. Yeah. And. They play it quite well because Doc, obviously, is... He's a scientist. He doesn't want, like, sort of like the butterfly effect. I don't want you to mess with time in case it changes the future and we're all fucked. But he did kind of... Because he tears up the letter when they kind of have that final moment before he gets in the car and yeah. drives off. But it's, it's nice, like, the reveal at the end where Marty returns ten minutes early but still witnesses Doc being shot. It runs over to him. And you just you could tell right away because it's like black bullet holes, yeah. and obviously I don't think they would show you him soaked in blood or anything. But when he opens up, he's wearing the fucking vest. It's like, how did you know? And he pulls it, the fucking letter he torn up, and it's all cell taped together. And it's like, oh, it's magic! It's magic! <laughs> I'm sure, like, they must have done like some sort of de aging for Christopher Lloyd for the scenes back in the fifties, eh? Because he had like. He was light, very light, faded grey, like brown yes. hair. Yes, because that's it. When he was 85, he had long white hair. And when it took you back to 65, 50, 55. it was short white hair. I think there's probably some makeup on him yeah. for, for the, the 85 sequence just to properly age him. But it's, it's strange. You just think that, man, he looks old then. And then the thought that he's going to be at a fucking Scotland Comic Con in October, and he's like, "How is this boy still kicking?" Jesus. Yeah. Do you not remember when it was? They were like celebrating like the thirtieth anniversary. Yeah. And they had that wee teaser like trailer where it was like the like the DeLorean was in like a white background. Yes. And he like stands there, man. He he looks old, but he can still fucking pull it off. Totally. It's, it's just like the Marty like just like everyone's kind of got that impression but you could still fucking nail it yeah I like the um, like in the lead up to like the finale like the plant with the bell tower because that's yes. what the whole thing's all about aye because that's how you had like that note with the, the girlfriend uh, Jennifer's telephone number on it but it was on the flyer for save the clock tower so I, it's great how it kind of pulls all these pieces together where it's it's not obvious but it's just through accident the fact that he got the telephone number on that flyer and that flyer was in his coat when he went back in time yeah. and it was like the inspiration for him to come up with this idea but I mean well look at my notes for the third act I didn't actually write really anything I think it probably just got to the point where I was just genuinely invested in the film mm. I would just tuned out and sat and watched it because like, you get the scene obviously when Biff tries to kind of like rape. Yeah. Aye, Marty's mum. Yeah, and that's it. And I love how they set up the sequence where because it was going to be uh, Marty was going to try and rape uh, Lorraine, but I think that would have backfired on him. Yeah. I think she would have raped him, <laughs> <laughs> and fucking George would have to open the door and fucking pull her off him. <laughs> she would have been like fucking legs wrapped around them and like, face hugger. 
<laughs> exactly. Sounds <laughs> 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 like too much of mum. <laughs> Oh, he goes back to the fucking present day and still kind of look at his mum. <laughs> oh, shit. But aye, I love it. It's just magic because when he goes to the fucking open door, pull off Marty. No, no I said that wrong. Pull but off. pull him off of his mum. And it's fucking Biff. And he loses the nerve. And he's like... <sighs> and he just... Biff gets his goons to fucking take him away. But he fucking... No, the goons take away fucking Marty and chuck him in the boot. But it's it's great because George, like, that scene where he fucking, he finds his nerve and he fucking lays out Biff with, like, <laughs> one punch and it's just, it's just the, like all the, the head. Like all, the for, like all the force in the world. Eh? Yeah, his fucking head whips around and then he's just, he's fucking out of it and just sliding in the car and it's just the sound edit and just like, and he's like, oh, and it's just like, oh, it's fucking good. And I love like the kind of, how they kind of handle uh, like race in the film, because yeah. in '85 you had uh, I think it was Goldie Wilson, and there's like a black guy running for mayor, and of course back in the '50s Goldie Wilson was like a a fucking uh, a cleaner in in the in the diner, uh, and he's he's just sitting talking about ah oh, no I'm gonna make something of myself one day, and Martin's like yeah you could be you're mayor you're gonna be mayor, and he's like mayor Goldie Wilson, and he's like I like the sound of that, and he's like a color guy being mayor I don't see it, and he said like, well I'm gonna progress for change, and that was like the guy's slogan, and the fact then you have was it the the guy's fucking I can't imagine. Like, was it like a significant band that played at like the dance at the end, or was it just like a bunch of black musicians? Can't mind, because then obviously Marty plays uh, Johnny, Johnny B. B. Good, Good. Chuck Berry. Yeah, and it is it's that that sequence where it's like where the guys phone him backstage. It's like you know, what it was like your cousin Chuck looking for that fresh new sound. Listen to this, and he fucking holds <laughs> the phone out. But um, it's it's when the they throw Marty into the boot of the, the musician's car and they slam it shut and then just the four black guys in the blue suits climb out the car and they're clearly fucking all smoking joints like having a hot box in the fucking car because all it is is just all this fucking smoke and it's like hey we're we're not here to interrupt your reefer party and they're just trying to fucking just make fucking jokes at them but aye and it was like when they save Marty. Marty does the music and fucking what you do. Fucking Andy just distracted me with text. Um, where's my train of thought? Aye, the 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 whole deal with like the family photo because it's it's sort of like the the like the hourglass. Like you can see when time's running out, as all the fucking family members are disappearing. Aye. So when him imagine to successfully hook up. George and Lorraine, it kind of saves him. Like that moment where it looks like he's having a stroke when he's playing the guitar. Yeah. And he can't fucking play. And then it's that practical, not a practical shot, but effect shot where he holds up his hand and becomes see-through. Yeah. And he starts freaking out. And it's got some fucking, like, Rick Astley ginger kid cuts in line. He's like, get away, McFly. And he fucking walks off with Lorraine. And fucking George just goes over and throws the ginger guy on his ass, and they just go back to dancing like it was no big deal at all. But is it when I thought that solved, and he makes a wee joke saying, "Hey, I think you should cry your kid Marty, and if you do have a kid cry Marty, make sure you don't be too tough on him when he accidentally burns the rug when he's four years old." And you just think, "Oh, well, that's him running back to the DeLorean," and you completely forget. They have to rig up the DeLorean, wait for the lightning strike, and yeah. him and fucking Doc Brown and have a fallout. They kind of can't fucking. Ah, he fucking. The cable's like I'd, stuck on a tree branch. Yeah, there's lightning that hits the fucking tree and it pulls the cable down. And it's like, man, I thought this was fucking over. Jesus. There's, and you just forget there's all this more to it. And I, it's, it's, it's great because it, it's just. It kind of keeps you on edge like, if you haven't seen it. Like, I look forward to. Get my bairns to properly watch it with me because I only saw like the first half hour, yeah. and it was brilliant because they were watching the start of it with me and they never paid any really attention to it until like fucking McFly 
breaks the amplifier and it's just a big explosion he's thrown across the room and Cameron's like what happened <laughs> but yeah and of course the ending he gets back everything's better Beth's now like a fucking whipping boy and then of course fucking Doc shows up and he's all in his space get up with like fashionable yellow suit and the fucking wrap around Bret Hart shades aye and every time I see that sequence, I always remember it's like the Family Guy parody. Oh my! Like God, Marty, we gotta go back up. in time. It's like why? Your your kids are assholes. <laughs> it's like, say Marty, your kids, Marty, your kids. Huh. Your dad's gonna marry a black man. Oh, I like, but we're okay with that. And then he really throws it. He says like a throwaway, like black, like a line about like a black man being like a, like a, an important person. He's like. Yeah, I'm not comfortable hanging the room with you. Aye. But I always remember that scene. <laughs> but, um But I mean, like, like, obviously, like, I've, I've not watched the first one in a good few years, but like, I enjoyed the fuck out of the second one. The third one's not too bad, where they yeah, go back I, to I, 1855. Mm-hmm. Because it's like the Western town, and it's exactly. like, you call yourself Clint Yeah. And it's, again, you get that generation of tanning. Aye. Yeah, I do actually, I might revisit them both for the weekend because all three of them's on Netflix. Aye. So. Because uh, this third one's like a, a slight, the DeLorean's mashed together with a train, eh? Exactly, in order to get it to fucking 88 miles. Yeah. Aye. I do, like, you could see why there's so much fucking pop culture and there's, like, uh, everything, like, a fucking t-shirt, like, the, the 88, uh, you know, 1.81 gigawatts and uh, like all these references uh, like, the, the references are fucking like miles and miles and uh, miles I mean if you look at what this fucking film sort of influenced or is what it's been parodied in like that page on IMDb will probably it be endless yeah because I would just go on and still nowadays it will still continue to be fucking referenced all the fucking time yeah and I mean, even in the last I'm season, pretty sure like they've recently announced and like Knights put out the actual trainers Aye. that McFly has, and I'm like, I really want them. <laughs> like I really, really, really want them. But fuck, uh, even like that last season of Stranger Things, the kids all sneak into a cinema, and it's Back to the Future that's playing, and it's just like one of these things where, like, right enough, I guess it's. 1985 then yeah actually they see two films in the third season of Stranger Things the first episode they sneak into Day of the Dead alright and the fucking the movie poster is the same as like that uh, Arrow Steel book I've got where it just looks like three covers on top of each other and it's the blue one with the white face and that was like the, the poster in the hall but at the end when they're trying to escape evil forces uh, they run into a fucking cinema Sit down and it's it's fucking Back to the Future that's playing. Ah. So, uh, BBT. I have a, what we uh, a budget. It was made for only with only nineteen million dollars. Not bad actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, worldwide box office it raked in three hundred and eighty-one million dollars. Ah, Fuck ton of money. I think it was like the number one film that year. Because obviously when we done our Rocky episode, we spoke about uh, Rocky 4 and Rambo... 3. 2? 2, aye. Yeah. Rambo 2. Aye. Fucking ro- uh, Rambo 2, first blood. More blood. So much blood. <laughs> <laughs> so I still only got two out of the three, but it was fucking Marty McFly at number one. Yeah. So yeah, that was uh, $210 million domestically. And $170 million from the foreign market. Yeah. Uh, some trivia notes. Writers Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis actually received a fan letter from John DeLorean after the film's release, thanking them for immortalising his car. Mm. And according to an interview he did on The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson, Crispin Glover lost his voice due to nervousness whilst filming the movie. Uh, for some th- Scenes he had to silently mouth his lines, with his voice being dubbed in uh, later at a recording studio. Ugh. So I guess that might explain some of the scenes where it sounded weird, like you're doing like a Keanu Reeves impression, 
So it might just have been a case that the boy was so fucking fared and had to dub his lines in later. So. And, of course, in the original script, it mentions Doc Brown and Marty uh, sell bootleg videos in order to fund the time machine. But this plot was removed at Universal's request as they did not want to be seen as promoting movie piracy. Ah. I would love it if it would be brilliant, though, that they were fucking trying to sell pirate copies of films that hadn't come out yet. Yeah. Like, just like, oh, here's here's the fucking... Cassette tape for fucking Rocky Five. <laughs> just jokes about anything else that came out that summer or fucking uh, Rambo Three. It would have been a nice touch, but yeah. yeah. There's always something in like the one bit of memorabilia that I've always wanted, and it's a copy of that Sport Almanac book. For the yes. One. Like uh, when when I was at yeah, like Universal and Disney and stuff, they've got like all the memorabilia shop. And all it is is like they've got like um, actual models of like DeLorean and they're like a couple of grand and stuff. Eh? Or they've got like wee model figures of uh, Doc Brown and stuff. Mm-hmm. Just give me a, like a sport almanac, but I'll pay 20, 30 quid for it. Aye. But. Surprised there, isn't it? Like yeah. it's just an almanac and then you open up and it's a Playboy. Because <laughs> that's pretty much what. Um, Was it Strickland? Aye, ah, Strickland, aye, in the yeah. second one. Aye. That was what I liked about the second one as well, the fact that he goes he goes back and mm. like while he's trying to get the boot back, it's him playing in the background. Yes. I, I'm always kind of wondering how they filmed that. Aye, definitely. I'm, su- I'm surprised there is any doc. Like, if there probably is, if you've if actually owned it, there could have been some decent behind the scenes yeah. documentary stuff on how they made it, but. Aye. Yeah, we'll have to fucking look up part two and three this weekend. Uh, but yeah, that is my thoughts on Back to the Future. Mike, it's now your turn to tell us about Fright Night. So, Fright Night is directed by Tom Holland. Not that Tom Holland, we'll say it again. Mm-hmm. And it stars uh, Chris Sarandon as Jerry Dandridge, William Ragsdale as Charlie Brewster, Roddy McDowell as Peter Vincent, Amanda Bierce as Amy, Stephen Jeffries as Evil Ed, and Jonathan Stark as Billy Cole. Mm. And what happens in Fright Night? The plot revolves around horror-obsessed Charlie Brewster suspects that his new neighbour Jerry of being a vampire and enlists the help of TV vampire killer Peter Vincent to help destroy him. So, Mike, I am aware that you've seen this film before. Yeah, have you? I have, yes, I saw it. Have you? Yeah, I, I think it was around the time when the remake with I think it was Colin, Anton Yelchin yeah, and Colin David Farrell and all that. Colin Farrell and David Tennant. Yeah. I remember I was working at the, the well volunteering at the Regent Cinema at that time when we booked that film and I think it caused me to kind of look back, have a look at the original. Yeah. And yeah, I was just fucking kind of blown away with yeah. it. Because it was just like one of those sort of 80 horror films like I've never seen this type of deal. Like this is a fucking classic. And yeah, it's just so it's strange. Like, it's got like the, kind of like, like the perfect balance of like fucking like horror and like humor. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it doesn't quite take itself too seriously. It's kind of like meta in a way and stuff. Uh. Like some of the stuff that goes on later on in the film. And the fucking prosthetics are terrifying, from what I remember. Yeah, and that's always like one of these things that gives it a surprising edge. It's not just a, a pair of fangs, it's the fact that the whole face, much like um, uh, from Dusk Till Dawn, yeah. where it just it distorts that much, and you're like, oh, that's fucking terrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, oh, nah, 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 nah. Yeah, um, one of my first notes for this is, I've seen this maybe maybe three or four times. Mm-hmm. Then it's the first me watching it since getting it on... Blu-ray and that. Oh yeah, um, and it's probably one of my like, one of my favorite vampire films. Like, like I keep saying over and over again that I'm not the biggest horror fan, mm-hmm. but there is some that I do like. This is definitely one of them. Yeah, like I think like for vampire films, well, like like Lost Boys was alright. I think I've only ever seen it once or twice. Aye, I'm the same. It, it never grabbed me as much yeah. as it seems to have grabbed like pop cult, pop culture. Like, yeah. People love that film, but I was like, 
I remember it being all right. Yeah, but this one, I reckon, if it's just because how how easy it is to watch, how like how great almost all the main characters are. Yeah. Because I mean, like like Chris Sarandon is just like the perfect casting choice to play Jerry Danbridge. Mm-hmm. Like he's just like when he gets like introduced and stuff, like he's got like, this weird like aura around him. And Where is that? Like, Don't trust this boy. And it's like um, like there's like a type of like jazz blues kind of score plays when he's mm-hmm. about yeah and it's pretty good mm-hmm. I just like the way he comes across is like he's long well no, no long but like kind of shortest like brown curly hair and stuff and ah, it's just he's trim yeah he's just like, like this fucking neighbour next door and, and he's in the main character that got like a like a single mum yeah because it has been a few years since I've watched it, but does he attempt to seduce the mother? Aye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he wants, he wants the mum. Aye. Uh, and that's, that's why the son's fucking fighting to stop it. Yeah, because it's obviously the... Like, I think the first main altercation with him is you see um, Charlie like sitting. It's a classic fucking like cliche, the kids sitting upstairs in the bedroom with the binoculars Aye. and are looking in the windows and they're like... There's a woman there with a kit off here thinking, oh, this is fucking great. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like, he witnesses uh, Jerry, like, bite her. Aye. And, uh, and then he just automatically freaks out. Yeah. Aye. And obviously, it. and obviously, it's the it's age-old fucking thing where, like, nobody believes him and stuff. Mm-hmm. I, it's, it's like the fucking, like, the rear window moment, yeah. really, where, like, they've seen too much and they've been caught out, but no one believes them. Now, I'm trying to remember, because the vampire gets away with quite a lot. Doesn't he even seduce the main character's girlfriends? Yeah, uh, towards the end. Yeah, and you're just thinking, man, like, this vampire is literally going out to destroy this boy's life. Like, he's literally, like, he's going after his mother, he's fucking seduced his girlfriend, mm. and it's just properly just pushing this boy to the edge. Yeah. Um... Like obviously, like when you get like the character that um, yeah, William Rasdale plays Charlie, like he's he comes across as like kind of like he's a bit bully sort of way at times, but he's got this like really creepy pal called Ed. Oh yeah, it's, like he's only he's only type of like evil Ed. He's, evil Ed's got this like really weird kind of like voice. Aye, it's his fucking laugh. I can remember his Aye. laugh. Isn't he just? He kind of looks like Aid Edmondson from like the Young Ones, <laughs> like fucking uh, denim jacket and uh, fucking spiky ginger hair. Yeah, oh, uh, right. kind of ginger hair. Mm-hmm. Um, the film kind of like starts to play. It's been that's what ninety ninety five minutes. All right. And there's no like a, there's not even a single like slow moment in the film. Uh, the character played by Roddy McDowell is fucking brilliant because he's like this like. TV like host or something, yeah, and like he's absolutely petrified in real life for like fucking any altercation. Aye, and there's a few a few bits in the film where he ends up in his altercations with Jerry or Jerry's like flatmate or whatever his name is, and he's absolutely fucking petrified at what he has to do. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like he's a fraud. Aye, because is that the guy playing? Aye, uh, Peter Vincent. Yeah. Now, I remember, was there not a shot where he's looking like a, I feel like he's got like a wee makeup. He, he, he does like the, the mirror trick. Aye. And he, he quietly freaks out when he realises yeah. like that is a vampire. Aye, he proper freaks the fuck out. Yeah. And well, that's it, because it, it, it's the thing where at first he freaks out and goes away, but he eventually has to come back and help. Aye. And he kind of... Realizes it's up to him to help. But ah, tight ninety minutes. That's a decent watch, right? Yeah. Was yeah, it? I was watching the um, I watched it last night, and it's amazing like how quick it goes. Because mm. I went, I just randomly went to go and check, see how long the film had, and it had only been on for like forty five minutes, and I thought, fucking hell, this is getting a breeze. Yeah. Now, is there any any negatives? Any parts that? I mean, I wasn't. Well, I was 
the mum's alright, I suppose. But I mean, the like the girlfriend, like she just was a wee bit, a bit nippy for me. Aye. And because like, I think at the start of the film, like he's um, watching TV and stuff, and she's like trying like take her clothes off, and he's watching. He's got his binoculars. And he's looking inside his window, and he sees like two people like carrying in a coffin. Right. And he's like, oh, it's like. It's like, you need to come and check this. There's like two people like, carrying a coffin. And she looks there and there's two people carrying a coffin on the TV. Right. And obviously she's just thinking that like, he's more interested in the telly and that than her and stuff. And she like, storms off and all that. But I mean, for it being like, for the bit when she's getting seduced by uh, Jerry, like, even though she knows he's like a vampire, I reckon if it's because he's got this like, like thing about him. Ah, just, that aura. Yeah, but she just happily like goes after him like in the middle of a club, mm-hmm. and it's like that. There's a brilliant scene where she's like dancing with him, and mm-hmm. she's like watching herself in the mirror, and it's just her on her own. Yeah, Aye, like, I remember that now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why she fucking falls at the point. Like, At least he fucks me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like why? <laughs> <laughs> now, how does how does it end for Jerry? Does it? Is it like a violent? I can't remember how. Cause yeah, I, so like I obviously that is a. There's like you get the whole thing where like can like, like they need to like he crosses and stakes and yeah, holy water and he like completely rigs his house with like garlic ah, and right. candles yeah. and he's got like we wooden like stake things like stapled to like his window and stuff. Mm-hmm. But oh. Jerry somehow gets into his. And his house through his mum's bedroom, like earlier, like early on in the film. Yeah. So then, he wants to go and like kill Jerry like during the daytime. Mm-hmm. That's obviously when he's sleeping. But I mean, like, like for the ending, um, like the the fucking like the the work they use for like the puppets and stuff is fucking really good. Like, oh. Like after the nightclub scene, what's after the nightclub scene? Either after the nightclub scene or before it, um, Jerry turns Ed, mm-hmm. and it's when it's only when Peter Vincent goes back to Charlie's house and sees Ed that he starts to like get the courage up to go and save him and stuff. Now it's that scene where he fucking plants him in the forehead with a cross, Aye. and it fucking burns Aye. like a scar on some. Yeah, oh, I mind that being quite a gruesome moment. And it's when he, um, he, I try to think how, how he done it. I like he flips, flips him off the staircase, and he because he's he's full. He flips him off the staircase, and he's like fucking impaled on a bit of wood. Right. And he turns into like a full fucking like wolf thing, and he's like, he's like hobbling along, and then he starts to like transform back into like Ed, and yeah. he's got like the big. Chunky wedding and it reminded me of an American way from London. Ah, how that ended, definitely. Because that was it. He was cornered in an alleyway as well, wasn't he? Yeah, and it's just, it's just fucking. It's like when the transformations were well winded, like the transformations, like finished, like yeah, it's just like covering with this absolute massive fucking stake. Yeah, like hanging through him. Eh? Aye, but um, Jerry's demise is like. He, he does turn the girlfriend. Yep. But it's enough time, but they've got to like like he's they've got to kill him within a certain like time frame so that you know, like she'll turn back. Mm-hmm. In the end also it's like six in the morning and stuff, or it's like early doors. And the years like the like the cross and like the holes in the windows and stuff and then it's just also the sunlight but like the Practical effects with, um, with Jerry's transformation, like his one's like a lot worse. Yeah, because that's a. Uh, I Cause think... like, you see him when he's like at the start of the, at the first scene where he bites a woman. He's got like really long fucking fingernails, mm-hmm. and like almost it almost looks like it, like he has a werewolf. It's when the roommate um, Billy Cole, when they go and like get rid of him, like they're convinced that he's like human as well. I, I was positive when I first watched that, like he was going to be like a werewolf or something. Mm-hmm. But it's not, he's just a vampire as well. Ah. 
But it's almost like like the total long finger is kind of like gives it that impression that he is a werewolf. Yeah. Yeah, what else have I got here? I mean, did you ever watch the remake? Ah, I did actually. I'm pretty sure I watched the remake before I watched the original. Mm-hmm. It was just it was on like TV one that me and Michelle watched it. I remember like getting absolutely fucking slated. Yeah, aye. And I actually didn't mind it. Like, I, th- I actually thought like, the, the best thing about the remake was uh, David Tennant. Ah, he like, did David come across quite good. David was really good. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Anton Yelchin was alright, was it? Oh, what was her name? Was the mum? Tony Collette. Was it? Right. She was the mum. But um, I think they could have got somebody better than Colin Farrell. Hmm. Aye. Because but it was set in like, the backdrop of like, Las Vegas, eh? Yeah, I kind of remember that saying. saying. But that was it. It was one of these ones where it probably just garnered a lot of hate because it's a it's a a remake of a classic. Yeah. So by default, the audience is already turned on it. When I was on when I was watching the TV, there was on Skyplayer. I was looking to see if the remake was on because I was actually going to re- like rewatch the remake. Yeah. But just because I remember like David Tennant being like pretty fucking funny watching it. Aye. I'm pretty sure there's a scene where he's sitting in like this like dark pit, and it's just a, I think it's him like giving up on his cell, and he's just hurling abuse at his own cell. Aye. And probably who's who's in it as well? Fucking McLovin plays Evil Ed. Eh? Oh yeah, yeah. Man, I has been a fucking age since I've seen that as well. Aye. Did do you know that they done a sequel to the original? Aye, part two. Yeah, I've no, I've no seen nah, it. Me either. People have apparently been like, I keep seeing it on Twitter all the time. People keep fucking crying out for it to be released on like Blu-ray and stuff. Uh, and I remember seeing the poster. And it's, it's like a big, I, like, multi-story like building complex. I, I either thought it was like a hotel or like a tenement block, and it kind of had the same uh, foreboding cloud above it yeah. with the vampire face. And it's still got um, Charlie and uh, Peter Vincent in it. Mm-hmm. I guess that would be the key elements. I wonder yeah. if he dumped his girlfriend after sleeping with a vampire. Mm, I'm trying to think. I'm sure I actually went and looked up the sequel well over the night to find out what the actual plot was. Mm. But I could be wrong. Ah, yeah, but I was, like, part two does still have the like the poster still with the total cloud. Yes, that's it. But I, it, looks like a, it looks like a hotel sort of thing, eh? Mm-hmm. Um, so the plot Charlie Brewster and Peter Vincent must face more vampires out for revenge <laughs> um, oh well thought hard about that one let's see nah there's nah there's no Chris Sarandon or that so um, that's an interesting one yeah although the person that directed it directed Halloween 3 and he played one of the ghosts in the fog no. Yeah. But I've never, I've never seen it. I'm gonna have to obviously look out. Look oh, well, it. it just comes down to its availability. Mm. I mean, the kids uh, like the film has like kind of like a cult following and that. Mm-hmm. And like one of the one of the features on the Blu-ray was that a like two and a half hour documentary. Jesus. Called uh, "You're So Cool, Brewster." <laughs> and I'm kind of interested to see because. When I was, was, I was more interested in seeing it the night mm-hmm. than what it was last night because I was doing my trivia notes. Apparently, there's in the trivia notes, um, one of the ones was that um, Roddy McDowell has got tons of footage, behind the scenes footage that's never ever ever seen like the light of day. Never, yeah. Nobody ever knows where they are. Sick. So I'm kind of wondering if there's maybe anything relating to that. Yeah. Huh. I, do you want to? transition to BBT or have you got any other notes uh, so budget for this one was a nice modest 9 million damn uh, I could only get the domestic budget for it right uh, the uh, domestic fucking box office mm-hmm. and that was 24.9 no so not bad I made his money back aye definitely and it, it's it's lasted this long as always but for what what I was saying like MD on like IMDB and like also with Mojo was that it was it was the most successful like horror film in nineteen eighty five. I think the one that was just behind it was like Friday the thirteenth, no Friday the thirteenth. Yeah, I Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two, that was like the 
all the other like successful horror films. Hmm. Uh, note. So much of the film's budget was spent on special effects. No surprise. And stuff. Yep. Um, it's the first fam- It was the first vampire film to have spent over one million dollars on special effects alone. Hmm. Um, a lot of people probably guess I had a wee inkling last night, but Peter Vincent's character is an homage to Peter Cushion and Vincent Price. Yeah. And for Evil Ed's transformation, they actually fucking built a full-size wolf puppet. Oh, Christ. Like, for the height of the guy that played him. Yeah. Man. I mean, uh, like, I guess, like, like, people talk about, like, fucking how good, like, films like, like the Marvel films are nowadays, like, well, the CGI and that. Mm-hmm. Practical films are still fucking really good. Yeah. And that's it. You could tell when... I mean, when you look at like, films like, like The Thing and stuff, like practical effects were fucking big. Exactly. Like, when they're done right, when you kind of have the right people doing the practical effects, they're they're terrifying because yeah. it, it looks so convincingly real. It's like, those actors were actually looking at it. They weren't looking at a green screen and a pole with a tennis ball on top of it or yeah. something. What right. um, I was reading a review for that is it, is it Angel Has Fallen, right? And apparently it uses practical effects. Yeah. there's like scenes where like stuff actually get like stuff gets blown up. Right, ah, oh, that'd be good. No, I mean yeah. it's just I think it has that mere like feeling like, like authenticity and yes. stuff like. I mean, like CGI is good enough. I mean, there's a like when I, I went and seen like at chapter two last week. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene in the film where there's like this creature thing, and I, I swear to God, it's like a almost like an homage to the thing. It's like an upside down head, right? With like legs on the ground and that. And like obviously the first thing I thought it was like the thing. Aye. But I mean, I think I think that's why films are like far too expensive because they like rely heavily on CGI. Yeah, and that's I think. It, obviously, it, it, it is really, really good, but I still feel there's that thing where your brain could instantly switch it off. Like when you see something and you could, like an explosion, and you, you could already tell, like, it's not real. Mm. And it kind of takes away. But whereas if there's something like a, a real explosion, like, you could fucking react to that. Like, the same with, like, practical effects in, like, the thing. That could cause terror, but then when you see some digital effects, for a fucking creature, it kind of takes out any, any kind of horror or fear. Yeah, but look at the, um, look at the fucking like the CGI Arnie and Terminator Salvation. Yeah, aye, exactly. With the weird, the weird cloud around his junk. Yeah. Um, did you ever watch that from the Terrifier? No, that's the one where a clown, isn't it? Aye, it uses nothing but practical effects. No, and it's fucking this. Like obviously made on like like no budget at all, and it's heavily ah. like you can heavily tell that. But it uses like like practical effects, and like just they look so real, mm-hmm. and I, I it, they're probably a lot more fun as well. Aye, because I mean, who doesn't want to go to work and like blow shit up or like exactly. watch watch somebody that's supposedly going to be getting like cut up and all that? And it's all exactly that 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 makes for it rather than sure. Obviously, you, you give like a hundred digital effects artists some work but still there's people doing practical effects I'd imagine it's like a fucking dying trade because it's just cheaper for folk to get a digital crew to fucking create their effects when I was looking through all the credits on Friday night I was kind of hoping that I was going to be surprised to see that like Tom Savini done like a recognisable name practical effects effects and the makeup and that because he's done fucking everything eh? Mm mhm but I mean, like, Friday Night is like one of the films that I think everybody has to at least see once. Oh, totally. This is us like, coming it's, up. It's not even like, ah, it's not even slightly scary, like, at all. But it's Aye. just, it's just really good to watch. Aye, exactly. It is properly entertaining. Um, but it's like we're coming close to October soon. And this is the time of year where, like, things like film Twitter and the old. Do their fucking 31 days of horror. I'm pretty sure the only, there's only, there's not only, but there's two films that I 
definitely want to check out in October. And I definitely, I, I really need to see Halloween 3 because it's the only one I've not seen. Yeah. And I've been wanting to see it for fucking ages. Um, I'm trying to think what the other one was. I think it was like the original, like Suspiria. Ah, right. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm going to watch the remake because it's for like two and a half hours. Aye. I think I tried to start it one night and it was just like the wrong time of night to fucking start a film that big. Yeah. Aye. But talking about like horror films that we mean to watch, I've always really wanted to see that film, The Void. Oh. Where it's another film that's kind of been praised because it was using nothing but practical effects and it was getting compared to this thing and I know absolute sweet fuck all about it so yeah. I feel like that's the perfect time to jump in but it's just never appeared on any of the streaming services I use no. so but it's us yeah, so no, I never pulled any up for this one, but also if you if you guys would like to support us, please visit filmsandswearing.com. Click on our Amazon link. If you do your shopping on Amazon via Films and Swearing, we get a small commission from your shopping. And yeah, it's a great way to support us and buy yourself some cool shit at the same time because I'd imagine both films, like, well, Fright Night has its uh, standard UK release. Does a film like that got a steelbook, do you think? It does, I'm sure there is. You probably get it on like, eBay or like yeah. CX or something. I mean, unless you want to buy the steelbook of the uh, documentary and pay 40 quid for it. Which is fucking mental. Just buy the, the standard Blu-ray when you get the film in, plus loads of other fucking shit. Aye. Yeah, so... Aye, if you're looking to do any shopping on Amazon, it's come up for Christmas, so if you want to get that shopping in early, go to Amazon via filmsandswearing.com. But other than that, next time on the Films and Swearing Movie Podcast, we will be talking about James Cameron's Aliens from 1986. If you would like to follow us on social media, you can. Uh, just go look up the username at Podcast. It works for Twitter, it works for Instagram, and it works for Facebook. And other than that, ladies and gentlemen, I have been your host, Stuart Silent, and joining me, sitting across the room, is the Magic Mike Christie. Yep. Fuck off, and tune in next week.